Hello and welcome to episode 10 of, of Poetry Podcast with Anuja Gamira and Orgi Zinhoising. Anuja Gamira is a Nepal-born writer of poetry, flash fiction, and creative nonfiction. She's the author of Kathmandu, Unsolicited Press 2020, Fable Weavers, Ethelzine 2022, and two poetry books in Nepali. A Best of the Net and Pushcart nominee, Anuja works as a senior publisher in an online learning company. She reads poetry for Up the Staircase Quarterly and enjoys teaching poetry to children in summer camps. Most recently, her work found home in Bending Genres, Chestnut Review, and Moist Poetry Journal. Anuja lives near Dallas, Texas with her husband and two children. Wargi Zinhoisen grew up in Switzerland. She majored in English and Spanish literature and linguistics at the University of Basel, Switzerland, and attended workshops led by Rose Solari, Jean Nordhaus, and Laura Fargus, and Yvette Nicer at the Writers' Center in Bethesda, Maryland. Her chapbook, Behind Normalcy, City Lit Press 2020, won the 2019 Harris Poetry Prize, chosen by Erica Dawson, final judge, and Kwame Alexander, series editor. She co-edited the translations of the bilingual poetry anthology, Knocking on the Doors of the White House, the Zobra Publishing 2017, which was selected by Beltway Poetry Quarterly as a 2017 10 Best Book. Borky's writing appears in various print and online journals. She volunteers behind the scenes for the Cafe Muse reading series and is a poetry consultant for Rivermouth Review. She lives in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Hello and welcome Anuja and Borgi. Hello. Hello. Huh? Thank you very much for doing this. It's so great to have you both. Um, we, we've met on Twitter. We've known each other for a few years. You both have beautiful new chat books. And it's so exciting just to sit and talk with you. And I do wish we all had tea right now um, because this is a kind of a dreamy morning tea hour. Um, I'm going to start by posing a conversation or a, a question about place. I've been on um, a place kick this summer and I think all writers are, but I recently started an essay with the sentence, if you were a child broken by a sudden family move, you might have a strong attachment to place. And I think about children heartbreak a lot and maybe it's having little ones, um, but place is so important in your work. And I was wondering if you would each read a poem from your chat books and talk a little bit about place. Anuja, would you like to start? Yes. Um, first of all, thank you again for having us on this podcast. So when um, I was a child in Kathmandu, Nepal, it felt like I was never going to leave the place, the capital of the country where everything is available, all the universities. And then I decided to come to America and my life totally changed and I felt dislocated and that I don't know my future anymore, that uh, it is always going to change. Hence, I wrote the chapbook with the title Kathmandu, because I feel like I'm always going home in my poems. Yet, this is also my home. 
and I don't know where home is. And um, I will read from Kathmandu a poem called Orlando. I wrote this about after the Pulse massacre and I titled it Orlando because it happened there, but the tragedy feels like such a big part of my understanding of living in America. The year I came here was um, the year of 9-11 and it just shattered my understanding of, of America and how I will always have tragedy as a marker of time. And I always think about raising my daughters and how it affects my poetry. Orlando. I need not complete this poem. In the Milky Way, it would take 100 centuries for one star to get to another. Let's break the words apart. Lend me a hammer. Even the nuclei don't matter. Today, my children hugged the lady who bagged four gallons of organic milk and blew her kisses. Beautiful innocence, Kim said, her name tag sending light back to the ceiling. So what if the girls know what love is? Only humans feel embarrassed. Veins betray the emotion on our cheeks. What color is despair? A bad guy. My six-year-old said about the scattered, shattered glass around the tree, carefully separated from the concrete of the parking lot. In the game of telephone, words alter truth with each whisper in a new ear. Mr. Rogers said, always look for the helper. But the flowers in my heart didn't last a spring. I want to keep my little girls in my arms, but they blossom at the window. Thank you. I really appreciate you um, bringing up tragedy as a marker of time. Um, and I think that really resonates with Borgie's work as well. Um, and I mean, I, I remember being a very ignorant MFA student and, um, you know, kind of unaware of how white she was and how inexperienced. And I said to one of my teachers, you know, I kind of complain, like, I haven't suffered at all. Like, and it's true. It was true at that time, but I was like, there's not, there's no suffering in my work. And um, I mean, how privileged and ignorant that was. Um, meanwhile, there are just things going on all around us. There's suffering all around us. Um, but I think that that's something poetry can really bring us to. <sighs> um, Borky, would you like to read? Sure. Um to tie in um, with Anuja's beautiful poem and the question about the sense of home, which once I left what I understood to be an unquestioned home and forever and ever, as Anuja says, um, broke open. And, uh, and once you leave home, you keep leaving it. Um, so 
there is an older poem of mine and it's also in the book and it's called I can't translate my origins so it's not specifically about a place but it's in the the in-betweenness sliver of slate at best bouncing across shimmer toward a bleeding horizon haze without distance closing in I keep leaving from where I left without arriving. The shimmer keeps beckoning, and so does the slim rock I weigh between forefingers and thumb. I stand sideways, shift my weight, and concentric circles mark its path and where it sinks, then silence. Thank you. Thanks. I love that you both root um, these poems in home and always leaving. And I mean, I was just talking with um, the poet Esteban Rodriguez on episode nine about um, the idea of recovery in our work, that we have to recover things. Um, and that we just can't assume that we, you know, the work is ongoing, right? Um, and I, I'm so impressed that in Borgi's work, there's often an image, there's often a really clarifying image. Um, and it's often in, in the natural world, it's often located outside the speaker. Um, and so there's this kind of movement outside. And Meanwhile, in Anuja's work, something I love is the materiality. Like, I feel like I can always, and this touch is important to both of you, but um, that there's, you know, the fabric, right? The, the sari, there is like the, it's very tactile. Um, and it's often um, rooted in domestic, right? In these like very home-centered spaces. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about home or place in your work? I read on Twitter a poem, I forget the name, and it had the Gulmohar tree. And I was so excited because in back home in the textbooks, the English textbooks was a Gulmohar tree on the cover. And just to have that image in a poem that I that I loved, uh, I will have to look it up and send to you. That so to find traces of home in unexpected places, and what I found in Borgi's poems too is I can relate to so much what you were saying, and that's what I think is the beauty of poetry that I understand your loneliness too. We're it's kind a, of together, yeah. It's a, it's um a very specific journey we share each in our own way but still there are commonalities right i have what you say with a certain with with certain horizons i can sit in the car right now i live in all these trees but i grew up with a wide view of hills the alsace to be specific and they look like here, those hills. It's not very different, Maryland. But then in the trees, I keep forgetting. And so we drive out and I see the hills and then 
all of a sudden, for a split second, I forget where I am. And it's very confusing. And then I realize again, I'm not home. I'm home and not home. You know, one of the first things I realized when I moved from Kathmandu to Nebraska was I lived in a valley, always surrounded by mountains, and the sky was small, that there was a limit. And then it was endless in the plains. And my perspective of the world just shifted. Like mm. this, the place really affected me, the wind, and there was no hills to block the, the wind. And even that was, that affected my poetry too. Like I felt more knocked down, you know? You know, and you know, the other thing, um... In my case, I don't know how it was in your case, coming here, I'm Central European. To I always thought, oh, Americans, and I, we are the same. After all, we are just white and, and, and we have the same ancestors. I mean, apart from, <laughs> yeah. But then I, or, I couldn't, I realized, no, our histories are so different. And um, it, I felt, wow, I felt um, like, I, I don't know, um, split. And, I, and uh, for the first few years, like completely disoriented. And I had to, to see the differences and learn, mm -hmm. so much to learn. And... Um, and that's why I say I can't translate. There are just some things they are, I can't bring them over. Mm. And on the other hand, I feel like I'm this tree with roots in two continents. Mm. And I love now both places as problematic and difficult as they are. But then that's easy for me to say, I was always welcome, very welcome here as a white person. And the first thing I, I, I met with at the border is welcome home. Wow. Always. Wow. Whereas, yeah. I don't know, my husband doesn't get to hear that, mm. nor my kid. But it's like, it's unbelievable. And, and standing outside and, and, and I always, and I often ask myself, when did I start feeling at home here? Because now I do, it's just a completely different feeling than a child would have. Um, exactly. But, um, and what made me immersed here? So how was that for you, Anuja? If you don't mind, Han. You know, um, when you said welcome home at the airport, mm -hmm. I always get questions. Mm -hmm. It is, um, so my eye-opening experience was, so there was, uh, in Nepal, when I was growing up, it was a royal family ruling over as just a figurehead. Um, and then there was a massacre and the king's whole family was, you know, killed. And it's mysterious how the events unfolded. And at the airport, um, 
the TSA people asked me, who do you think killed the king? And after 9-11, it was, where are you from? Are you like, do you know people who were on the plane? And every, um, it's, it's a question, where are you from? And uh, since when did you start speaking in English? And it's all, it's, oh, the question, I wrote a poem about it uh, was, did you live in a tree when you were in, <laughs> in, in Kathmandu, like I was working in the cafeteria, in the college cafeteria, and these questions just uh, rattled me. My outlook of America was very different. It was, I was very young, and what I learned was from the media and from the poetry books I read, and it's, it's a glittering, beautiful world. Uh, uh, and it's extreme, what you get mm. from the media. <laughs> And, you know, but then I met people here and I've met some of my greatest friends and I saw so many things that are common. We love family. We love nature. We all have goals and dreams. And but still, there are some things that I cannot explain. I cannot translate my experiences of how we will get to the, we will not come to the same conclusion about many, many things. And um, it's now it's the added difficulty is raising two children who are American citizens. And for them too, I have to translate home so many ways. And I keep writing for them. So uh, when they're older and they can really understand what I'm trying to do is just my understanding of who I am, where I come from, and how I see America is mostly my focus for now, you know. So as you were saying, I get I get questions, Borji, and that just is a very different experience. I bet, yeah. It's it's incredible. At the same time, and again, that is very easy for me to say because it is such a, a beautiful and affirming experience to be welcome everywhere. And I wish I, everybody could get to experience that. Um, but what I want to say is at the same time, I love this country. I really do. And not just because of I was welcome, but because of its enormous potential in all its difficulties. Um, it, it has such enormous potential and it's so varied and so many different people and opinions. And so, yeah. Um, I hope to learn to contribute to that, you know, be affirming and um, and tell how, how beautiful it also is. Not in the, oh, nature sentiment, no. <laughs> I have no patience for um, um, nature as being, yeah, that's a whole other mm -hmm. issue, but... Um, <laughs> As a white person, we tend yeah. to go to nature and take it just for granted. It's beauty, mm -hmm. you know, 
yeah, right. You know where you step. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's all I think. And, it, and I think more and more now um, you see such a reflection in American poetry of difference. Um, I think you see people really doing the difficult work of really going into their subjects um, and themselves. And I, I feel sorry for people who are turned off by the um, concept of identity or even the word, because it's so important to who you are as a person to understand your identity. And um, it's also a power and a claiming. And um, when you do that work well in your work, you know, what you are is sharing a really personal story and, you know, it's, it's weird that people get turned off by the idea of identity when everyone loves stories. Um, and it just, I think it's, people get tripped up on the language, but um, I really appreciate the depth, the depth of the world in both of your poems. Um, and Borgie, when I brought up nature, I hope you didn't think I was saying like, Borgie's a nature poet in a, any. <laughs> No, 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 I didn't take it that way at all, because I I love um, the natural world. And, and, um, yeah, because also, I'd love to be alone. Hmm. And so, yeah, and in it, but that doesn't exclude how there are so many ways to to experience nature mm-hmm. and um the more the better i just yeah i have my personal preferences and i'm mm-hmm. learning about that too yeah. my favorite right now i think because um ecology and climate are kind of are the hot topics frankly um you know there are also existential realities and um you know, huge, huge legitimate concerns right this minute in terms of policy and changing our lifestyles. And, um, but in poetry, my favorite poets and poems um, don't view themselves as, you know, ecology poets with a capital E per se, or, um, or even nature poets. It's, you know, and I think it goes back to what Anuja was saying about the sky, the difference of sky. It's when all of your environment seeps into your work in ways that you just, you cannot help it. Like there are pines over my house and I've been putting pines in my poems the past five years. Yeah, I love that. Or usually seeing a tree on Twitter. And and I think of, I was in Novgorod, um, Russia as a undergraduate. And, you know, it's this 11th century, um, town with churches and you know it means new city right and it's so old and there are white clover in the grass everywhere outside and I was blown away by that because white clover it's such a humble flower it's like a country flower I grew up with it I made clover chains I sat in it I picked purple clover you know for tea and um it's just incredible to me that it could be in such a different world, only speaking Russian in a full immersion program. And then you see something that links you back to home. And I think exactly. That, yeah. That linking and that difference, right. Um, our spaces yeah. you both write from. I also, love, I, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, nature, your environment, wherever you are, 
like I think that's what that's a big part of our memory and I think I think about memory a lot when I write my poems um why is it so much that I write about memories I think about that a lot and when you were talking about the white clover I thought about marigolds because mm. I did a word search <laughs> of my poems and there were so many marigolds <laughs> wow and love that. so I I found I flowers that. everywhere <laughs> I love that how you both described that yeah ultimately where where we live how it flows into our poetry it makes us whole after all we are just not we're not just humans you can place anywhere walk around and spit poems no we are in a place mm -hmm. for me it's light light is very important mm -hmm. and it's quality yeah I, and yeah and i can tell that you think about a lot about memory anuja that it, it's what i really like in your poems how you describe it and explore it and probe it thank you i love the images in your poems like like han said and uh i gave your book to one of my friends she writes beautiful poems and she felt the confidence to put together a chapbook when she read your book thank you so much well i hope to get to read it one day because sometimes i feel like chapbooks are so important because you feel the confidence to put together your own poems when um, full lens might feel more intimidating to begin with and you can study how seemingly unrelated poems have a link that you didn't think about and to find pieces of you in all these chapbooks is just wonderful that's so true it also makes you um go through your poems and pick out essentials or you could just narrow down the field i think there is huge potential in chapbooks yeah, yeah. I, not that it has to be a binary but of course not um but two of the ways i think about chat books as they're either the book waiting to be expanded into a full length or they are a section of that book and you, right. you think in terms of parts um and um what pecan light when i sent it to bull city press it was a chat book um, and they accepted it as a chapbook. And then Ross asked me if I wanted to extend it. And so it was actually just a part of my full length at the time that was called Larks, which is now my second book. And so I took that part and then I expanded it. So I think, you know, you never have to look at a chapbook as like an end, right? It can be a beginning and it can be you know, those beautiful introduction to your work that you can get into a lot of hands, you know, maybe because it's affordable or it's small or people aren't in, as intimidated by reading a small book, you know, like this something about chapbook that is a very friendly name too. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I had true. to explain to my non-poet friends what a chapbook is. <laughs> <laughs> I, How did I also... you explain it, Anuja? I'm, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a smaller book than a full length and 
they asked if it felt smoother. Oh. <laughs> um, that's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, and flash. I write flash fiction mm -hmm. as well, and they were like, "What is flash? Like, mm -hmm. does it go by in a flash?" Like, it's really mm -hmm. interesting to have uh, friends who will like support me always, and I get to introduce them to your works, and it's it's a good. Uh, like, I don't think about these things because I know mm, and I'm like mm -hmm. always reading, mm -hmm. but to have an outside perspective puts it in, in a in a place, you know. Also, yeah. I wanted to say, Han, that when I read uh, your poem about your brother mm. and I found my brother in your poem. And that's oh. one of the things that I like about being in America, that you come from a different background growing up in the south and you write about that history and and i write about something totally different mm -hmm. but at the same time i could relate to so much and having like you mentioned before uh about the domestic factor that pulled me into your poems which has many facets and uh, a big universe but that really connected for me in that poem Oh, thank you for saying that. I love the brother connection too. Um, and yeah. grandfather. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I feel like that's, um, I don't know. It's one of those things that when you're younger, I was laughing about this with someone that, you know, when you're younger, you think your family's kind of boring or it's not something special. And then like the older you get, um, the more you realize how significant family is and um, it's like growing into the portrait gallery or something you thought as a child, you were ready to like run past because you wanted to go to the natural history museum or whatever. <laughs> like not the portrait gallery. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Well, I want to ask a question about borders and borderlessness in your work. And we've already talked about some of that. So I feel like this is kind of a, um, it just fits in. It dovetails. I love that expression dovetails. Um, but thinking about, you know, the borders and borderlessness racially, geographically, linguistically, chronologically. Um, and I was wondering if you each read a poem that speaks to these themes in your work and tell us a little about the writing of that poem and the particular conditions that inspired it. Borgi, would you like to start? Sure. Um, thank you. I have a poem that is called Border and Borders. And um, it can be read in many different ways. So it's up to the reader how they want to read it. How did it come about? Um, well, why don't I read it first? <laughs> so I read two versions of it, but there are more. Border, borders. I say I can't translate my origins to say I belong. I navigate wounds of this country, slowly unlearning you. But I get to pilfer from generous helpings at the buffet's spread patience and curiosity, the only real border I face. 
safe, I mean, from the threat of being perceived as one. And here's another. I say I can't translate, but I get to pilfer my origins from generous helpings to say I belong at the buffet's spread. I navigate patience and curiosity, wounds the only real border of this country I face. Slowly unsafe, I mean learning from the threat of you being perceived as one. I guess the poem has grown out of my experiences and it is a beginning. I, I think part of me will always explore these questions and um, also on my current project I work on th this question and it's also probably trying to find my place on this whole um, web that is this country because we are all one big web and where we move mm. we make a little ripple you know mm. and and this is a beginning this poem is a beginning and um, it's up to anyone who reads it how they want to read it <laughs> Yes, that it's a, it's a two-columned poem, but it's also in stanzas. And I, I always think of, you know, the translation of stanza as room, right? So you move from room to room and you move in different ways. Um, and I, I was trying to write that down when you were saying it. I love that you said we're all in one big web, but we make different ripples. I love that um, those metaphors together. Yeah, there is no no scary spider in the middle though. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for its net to ripple, you know, and then boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Anuja. So I have a border poem. Uh, Nepal is a landlocked country, and so we have to rely on India for supplies and whenever there is political tension, there are blockades. And I wrote about um, being dependent, um, the effect of the borderlessness, you know, uh, it, the physical limitation was really palpable when I was a child. And uh, when I wrote Kathmandu, I was the most excited about using Nepali words um all throughout and nakabandi means blockade and it's the same word in hindi and nepali we have a lot of similarities because both originate from sanskrit i'm waiting for sugar and oil when it is finally my turn the polythene bags fly in the air i've skipped homework to claim my spot now lost to the plastic flutter that aimed for the moon. I know your dance. My calves are only stronger because of the stomps of Paratnatyam. Ta, tai, tai, 
speck. I know your song. My tongue is only softer after the riyas of our scale. I know your arms. They spread wider than mine to grasp Everest by her forehead. She want to topple. So your feet push the soil with a bit of crusty earth towards me with each hush step. I know you will break our pact and free will is an act. It's flavored medicine to swallow pride. I know that if I vomit, the splatter on your shoes will only land on my cheeks. So I wait for sugar and oil. Thank you. Anusha, do you find, um, as soon as you said Everest, I was like, wow. Do you find mountains come up in your work of memory? They do. I was also going to say before I forget, I'll come mm. back to that, um, mm. about borders that I don't know if it's true for Borji, but in my dreams, it's a mix of Kathmandu and Texas or America, because I lived in Nebraska before and I used to go to work in Maryland over summers. but. It's American houses in Nepali streets. So even my dreams are messed up. Like they don't have a border <laughs> or a land. And it's such a mixed experience that, like we talked about earlier, like once you leave home, it's forever leaving and it has changed. And so um, I think the border of dreams was something that I have been thinking about, maybe I'll write about it. And I write about Everest because what I feel uncomfortable with is people exoticizing mm -hmm. Nepal and um, Yeti and Everest and that there is so much more to where a person is from than just the landmarks or it is a very different place and it's unique, but there are also universal experiences. And uh, I had joked with my friends that if you say that you're from Nepal, even in a restaurant, even the waiter will ask you, have you seen Everest? <laughs> like, <laughs> or have you climbed Everest? But not everyone does it, you know? <laughs> so those, uh, I don't know. I want to write about being me not about being a nepali being a mother being a i mean it's all part of me but also i don't want to be labeled as exoticizing mm. you know um no thank you so much for saying that um absolutely my geography happened <laughs> i was homeschooled my geography is one of my worst subjects and i'm so <laughs> So I've read all your, I've like read all of your poetry. I can get my hands on, but I really hadn't thought about Everest. Um, but as soon as you said it in the poem, I was like, oh wait, Everest is there. And um, <laughs> when I was in New Hampshire for the Frost Place Conference, the mountains, even though I grew up in Virginia, kind of near some mountains, they were very, very distant. I mean, you could see them sometimes, but it's different 
seeing a mountain in the distance versus being up close to one. And when I was in New Hampshire, being up close to a mountain is such a, I don't know, for me, a very spiritual presence. For me, it wanted to get in my palms immediately. And those are like the White Mountains, that's where Robert Frost was. Um, so I was just curious because, you know, those kind of looming physical presences um, that are also somehow very spiritual. And um, yeah. I think, I think Mount Everest is a political thing also mm. for Nepal because part of it lies in China. Yes. And also there's... Um, Buddha, I have been writing a lot about Buddha in my poems because um, he was born in Nepal and attained wisdom in India. And I keep having to explain mm -hmm. about uh, the origin and how it affects me. So I've been exploring that myself. I went on a tangent there. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all, all the tangents. Um, I love too your dream. Oh my goodness, when you said um Texas houses in the poly streets, I was like, that has to go in a palm. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> good. Borgie was feeling it too. Um, yep. such a good image. And yeah. And dream life is so, I don't know. I feel like it's even more important for poets. I think it's way more important than most people want to um, ascribe to dreams. Like when I was little, my mother would say, a dream is just the garbage leaving your brain. And it's such a negative, terrible thing. I mean, there are harmful dreams. You can have nightmares and things, but I wasn't. I just had weird dreams. Um, and so I love it when my kids want to, I think they make them up. I think my children know I like their dreams. So they start making them up. But <laughs> They're <laughs> clever. Yes, they are. <laughs> They're like, oh, wait, you want to pay attention to me? Okay. This will be twice as long. <laughs> That's <Yes>. wonderful. <laughs> but I'm fascinated by dreams and because they tell you something about your psyche. Yes. And so maybe... I'll write more about it <laughs> you should it's it's beautiful how you said that and it made me aware of something i was not aware that when i dream i'm actually in no place i know mm. so yeah that's interesting because it is not a place i know in my dreams it's a mix so it's yeah you know, yeah we should, we should explore that more yes. yeah it's a great idea it's great right because it is your it's you're in your subconscious right like whoo that would be a really fun workshop too a dreams a dreams and writing workshop oh sign me up yes <laughs> maybe we should just set this up maybe we should run this that would be fun um okay so i i want to be respectful of your time i know we're wrapping up um to close um, I wanted to ask about, you know, you've both, we've both, we've all put out books during quarantine, um, launched books. We've all been writing during quarantine, which is its own special thing. Um, is it special distractions, um, and limits. And I wanted to ask about what is, what is material object you find yourself returning to or, or how is your writing you know, been going during quarantine. Um, and then also what's a chief joy in poetry for you right now? Borgi, I'll go. Like? Okay, oh. sorry. Sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, <Borgi>, go. <laughs> all right. Um, my chief joy is reading, actually. 
um, I get so much out of it. It's like a whole world opening up. Um, yeah, <laughs> that sounds trite, but um, no. I just, it's, it's almost as important as writing to me. Um, and I wrote very little during the pandemic, but still more than I expected. My current project evolved. I'm learning that um, the more time you take, the better. I'm always at war with my impatience, basically. Um, but because, but the longer I take, the more reading I will have done and the more input I will have had. And um, because I think you never work on your own and it's always a back and forth in your mind. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's about it <laughs> in a nutshell. I think for me, um, I realize that the pandemic is really stressful. And so I have learned to compartmentalize my brain. And if something is going to be really, really hard, I'm not going to do it when I'm not feeling my best. And so I put flash writing in the back burner because poetry will always come naturally to me. And I feel like more drawn to reading poems and just flash is a little hard for me right now. And I put that like knowing what will not make me be happy at the moment. I've learned to just not do that and make mm -hmm. time for things that I know will come more easily and improving on that craft because um, I do write in I started writing in Nepali again in the pandemic that brought me great joy mm. started going to poetry zooms in Nepali and uh, it was just wonderful because now my Nepali is a little different and it's tinged with all these translations from all the languages into English that I have read have affected also my Nepali so the two books that I put out when I was really young, like I was a teen, they are way more different than the Nepali poems I'm writing now. And to see the life experience and how the difference shows up in poems has been wonderful. But mostly my children, they bring me joy because I'm so glad I'm stuck with two funny people and a husband. <laughs> just the comic relief of children is just I'm I'm really thankful that if, if if I were by myself, even though I love alone time and reading and writing, it, I would not <laughs> be as happy. That is so fascinating that you went back to writing Nepali. That, that, that fascinates me greatly because I have not gone back mm. to writing in German and I do not intend to. Mm. I fully moved. I thought I had fully moved as well um, because I don't use Nepali. I mean, we speak Nepali at home, but I don't use so many words 
day to day and I felt like I had lost so much of it but it, it came back and uh, I think being around poets and it just triggers something in you and hearing all those words that all these great poets said and reading again because every time I go back I bring back books and so I didn't it came back to me and that was if if it weren't for the pandemic and I didn't have extra time that I lose in commute <laughs> then maybe it would not have happened mm -hmm. there would not be as many opportunities via zoom and I would not hear all these poets and they would not trigger the rivers to flow again I think I give credit to the poets that's wonderful mm. maybe you translate one day I I have some but um you know Rohan Chetri he's a Indian Nepali American poet and like he has a new book out um, Lost Heart and in Transit and he is also translating Nepali poems into English. And I want to do that someday, like when I feel more rivers are flowing and there's a flood. <laughs> I wanted to ask, when you write a poem in Nepali, do you also write a version in, in English or does it stay in Nepali? I have done both. Hmm. I, I feel, so I handwrite in Nepali. It's cumbersome to type in Nepali using this keyboard. Uh, so, and I started writing, handwriting in English again too, because uh, that influenced the flow. But I have done both, Han. Like some make better sense in just Nepali, but some I think work both ways. And as I'm translating, I change it a little and then I go back and add those changes in Nepali as well and it turns out better. So I think English has really helped my Nepali. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, it's really, I, um, I always butcher quotes when I try to remember them, but I just read this Robert Frost quote in K. Ryan and the actual quote is, poetry is what gets lost in translation but I had remembered it as poetry is what remains in translation <laughs> because I mean it's it is hilarious I totally inverted Robert Frost um because I was thinking I was like yes yes like poetry is that thing that can pass across languages like it's the actual spirit of the poem um and so it's just so funny that I just I just rewrote Robert Frost, you know, casually. Um, but <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, it does remain. It moves across like it is. Um, and a one so full of, you know, specificity and also borderless. Like, so I think both um, are true, though. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite metaphors, I don't remember who said this, but that like a translated poem is like it's like an ice cube that you melt and then you refreeze and you can like refreeze it in the same general shape, but all the molecules will have changed position inside. And I love that. I'm like, yes, that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, but that's very vivid. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. very tactile. Mm. 
Well, thank you both so much. Would you like to um, close us each with a poem? Sure. Do you want me to start? Yes, please. All right. I'm going to read a poem that's going to be published in Moist Poetry Journal. Thank you very much. So it's called Morning Swim. To breathe in my mother's music, I learned to push even columns into the flute, sarabans, minuets, jigs, danced and paused, danced, to breathe inseparable. I dreamed her dream until I didn't and left. On virtual boardwalks toward a ridged horizon, I click, like and sigh, trees, cloister my view here, my heart for distance. From my mother's ear for sound and cadence, I learned to love our language, left it to breathe in another. I push through chlorinated water, pass a hair and leaves, push, reach, push, the sun above, an incandescent net below, a star. Thank you, Borky. Thank I you. love how much I can relate to every poem of yours, your mother's dreams and the minuets, because my children take music lessons and I think about minuets a lot. So just a beautiful poem. Thank you so much. <laughs> I will read a poem from my next chapbook, Fable Weavers, Going to Hell in Nebraska. The girl who asked me if I had heard of her God was beautiful. I asked if she also knew about mine. She left all the doors open to the snow. Once she offered pancakes for dinner, I brewed Earl Grey and swallowed the breakfast I didn't want at night. Sometimes jet lag lasts for years, but you say it's caffeine. On our 45-minute ride for a 25-pound bag of basmati rice, she was worried only I was going to hell in Nebraska. Over the saffron and vegetable biryani, she said grace for my soul. I was worried everyone I knew I was worried everyone knew I left turmeric stains in all the kitchens. She told me about bleach that can turn counters white again. I made her chia with milk, cloves, and cardamom, and hummed songs from my mother. The tea got darker, but never bitter. The moon was out, even though we didn't see it. We didn't talk about gods again. Thank so, you. so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. So now I'm going to close. And if you would like to read more of Borgie's and Anuja's work, there will be links in the show notes as well as their biographies and links to their books. And I hope you purchase their chat books. And if you haven't yet, give of poetry a five-star rating and subscribe. Thank you for listening.